Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Got up earlier today with Ian Stalker. He is the CEO of Pasafino Gold. It's a relative news story. Raised some money in October. Got the team ready and assembled to uh, deliver the DFS by the end of this year. We talked to him uh, about his business plan strategy for delivering it. And if you like our thoughts and opinions on the conversation in the company and how we think they'll do this, you can find that at crossinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports and analysis. And of course, there are training videos on there to help you with your diligence process, summaries of other interviews that we've done to save you some time. And there's a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly, civil manner. Isn't that nice? And also free from abuse, trolling and uh, judgment. So go and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. I'm doing very well, thank you. Good man. Now we, we've got a little bit of uh, internet issues, but we, we, we can see your face, but it's, it's slightly frozen. But I, th- I think we'll make a, a good go of it and we'll hear, hear the story of yours. You up for that? Yes, 100%. Good man. Good man. Well, look, um, so where in the world are you, first of all? Why are we experiencing Vancouver. such problems? Vancouver. 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 So it's not such a bad location. Not too bad. You, you don't sound like a local, though. No, not yet. Uh, but I have been here probably longer than I've been anywhere else in my life for a fixed period. I've been here over 10 years now. Right, right. Now, you've got a long way to go before you're a local, I, I suspect. I think so. Right. Wow. Okay. And uh, how are things in Vancouver? Is everyone back to normal? Are you at home or are you at the, at the office? We're, we're, I'm at home, which is part of the, I'm sure, internet challenges you refer to, but um, it's actually not bad. It's a good location. We are back, BC is, a, as is Canada, it's a huge country. So movement is less restricted than you have in the UK. There's less people. So the impact of COVID, while still felt, is just not as severe as you have it. And so things are still kind of normal with the usual restrictions of mass and, and distancing. Very good, very good. Well, look, we're going to hear the story about uh, Pasofino uh, mm-hmm. Gold today. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited because it's this new story. So we haven't spoken before. Obviously, I know of you because you sit on the board or advise quite a few companies that we've spoken to, like K92, First Cobalt, Helium One, uh, to amongst many. So um, why don't we kick off? And if you can give me like a one-minute overview of uh, Pasafino, what you're trying to do at Pasafino, and then we'll pick it up and get into the detail of uh, that in a minute. Well, Pasafino is Liberian-based. It's a gold project. What we're looking to do is twofold. One, a definitive feasibility study is underway, and we're looking to get that completed by the end of this year. And that takes the board of Pasofino to a decision to construct in sometime in 2022. And so it's pretty near-term production opportunity. And the other side is that in that part of Liberia where Pasofino is based, we have a wonderful mineral endowment um, as West Africa has in general with so much more limited exploration undertaken because the fact that places like Ghana, Burkina Faso were much more popular at the time. And so we have a huge opportunity of growing the resource and by the end of this year too. So two main driving forces to generate wealth and return on investment for investors. Fantastic. Okay, great summary. Um, let's 
maybe start off by helping people understand who you are. Because like I say, you've, you've been around the block in terms of the number of companies that you've worked with and some successes there, but maybe give us the highlights uh, so people understand you know, your skill sets and what you're bringing to the party here. Yeah, I'll do my best. It's not my favorite topic talking about myself, but we'll try. Um, the frozen face probably tells you that I, you're right. I've been around a few years. Um, I left my own native country of Scotland in 20, as a 21-year-old to go to Zambia and work in the copper mines. was there for 12 years to become metallurgical manager of the Encana division, as it was known at that time, and then moved up to Ghana, where I spent a further 12 years with the Shanty Goldfields. And that little company during my tenure there moved from 120,000 ounces a year production level to 1.7 million and was the darling of the gold mining companies within Africa. And so that exposure gave me a lot of experience within the West African area. I then moved into the dark world of the junior side of the market and became CEO of a couple of companies and some of them have done very well. K92, for example, that you mentioned came along. Uh, we acquired it way back in 2014 as a founder and that sort of 2 million initial payment we made for it with a few extra hooks on it has now turned into a company that's worth $1.7 billion. So we're all very happy with that. And I'm delighted to say that earlier in my career I, that we were involved with a uranium story that also um, did very well. We got it listed in London in 2006 as it happened. Uh, for roughly about $30 million. And we sold that in 2007 for $2.5 billion. So we've built a few companies up from start to finish, been involved in other companies, and you know them. I'll, I'll not waste the viewers' time with it. So good pedigree, I think, in the gold mining business in West Africa and in developing junior companies into what should be a good return for investors. And the ability to pick up project is ho hopefully what you can draw from that. Right. Okay. So you've ticked off the credibility box uh, extremely well there. So I think people should be li listening to your understanding of working in West Africa, because some people some, some people find it hard to wrap their heads around, especially North American folk you listed in Canada. Uh, it's not in a you know, favorite area of theirs. They refer to AK-47 countries, but there's a lot of big companies uh, here and they've got to start somewhere. So you've gone for Liberia, which in itself mm. has some legacy Perception issues, let's put it like that. Yes, I mean, there's long sleeve, short sleeve was the, uh, the wonderful movie that came out during the Diamond Wars. And that would probably be that legacy. But in actual fact, the country itself has been semi-independent since way back in the mid-1800s um, in terms of the way it developed from the slavers from uh, the South of America, North America, being retransported back there. Um, and it's also, interestingly enough, uh, elected the first female head of state in 2006, and she remained in power to 2018. And then we had a wonderful, a decent transfer of power to the current president, who's a guy called George Weah, who happens to be a ex um, World Cup football star. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So it's been pretty stable since. And and the nice thing I like about Liberia, there's two points to make here for us. One is having worked in Africa for so long. Zambia was landlocked, Ghana wasn't, but Burkina Faso is, Mali is, Chad is, Niger is, and so I go endlessly. If you're going to be in Africa, um, irrespective of what my peer group will tell you, there is a limited amount of infrastructure, and it's better to have a country that has its own ports and co coastline. And we are blessed by having the deep water port of Grenville only 70 kilometers from our site. Uh, just as a, a quick example, when I built the Seguri mine up in Guinea, 
the transportation was 880 kilometers from the port of Conakry. And by the time I got my cement from port to site, I had doubled the cost. Uh, whereas here, because of the proximity to the port and the simplicity of one set of customs officials and getting it loaded and moved, I can save a significant amount of not only operating costs, but capital costs. So that's a bonus. It's also handy in that it's relatively stable as a country in terms of security. The kind of instability that unfortunately we see in the hinterland like Ghana, uh, sorry, like uh, Mali and Burkina Faso and Niger, is quite often driven by the sort of divergence of some of the religious groups in the areas. In Liberia, we are fortunate there is one predominant religious group, which happens in this case just to be Christian. They are 92% plus. Small country with population of 4.7 million. So by having one predominant religion, it certainly makes things a lot more stable. And the government is very proactive with us. Um, in fact, just recently announced yesterday, as it happens by sheer coincidence, AcelorMittal, who've been in that country for a long while, developing and operating the iron ore mines, are putting up a further 400 million into their infrastructure needs um, and they've been there for 20 years and so the government is it understands mining helps us and the the other point to bear in mind apart from just the security in the country and the, the easy access and the cost that that imp implies is that we actually have in place a mineral development agreement between ourselves and the government of Liberia that is a law it's been passed into law it is a statute and in that we've got it very clearly stated that they have a 10% free carry which is not dissimilar to most West African countries, um, but they have very highlighted for us, which I think is important, that in the event the gold price was to drop below $1,500 an ounce, then they will reduce by 75% the import duties associated with the importation of fuels. Now, as you know, diesel is a key part of the operating cost of the uh, open pit, and this is an open pit opportunity. Um, and so by getting that reduction and the other, it's also big in terms of the diesel supplied power operation, by getting that kind of offset, which shows the government's willingness to assist us, it also, also makes us more economically viable. So we've got a good country with a coastline that makes it simple or simpler, simple would be the wrong word, um, and a good investment climate and an MDA cast in concrete already around us. So we're happy to be in Liberia. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay. I, it's, I just think it's worth dealing with that head on because people dismiss it out of hand unless you describe. Mm. I, I've met George Ware, really nice guy. I'm intrigued to see mm. how he's getting on. I, I should I should, uh, I should, dig out his phone number maybe. He won't take my call, but <laughs> we can but hope. Um, the... That's fantastic. Uh, can we talk now, though, why this project? You've obviously uh, done an earning deal with uh, Hummingbirds, another group of good, good guys, but perhaps haven't got your level of experience here. They're sitting at a, what nearly 110 million market cap here in London. Um, why aren't they taking this forward? Why have you stepped into the breach? Well, look, Hummingbird worked on this and spent over $70 million on the project to date. And they did a lot of good work. Make no mistake about it. They're, you know, in terms of the technical application, you can always point fingers, but in reality, it was a good basic setup. Unfortunately for Hummingbird, the timing in the marketplace just wasn't that great. Um, the, the period, and you'll know and I know from sort of 2011, 12, we had a little 
burst in 2011 when things were quite nice. But from 12, 13, 14, gold was not something that was being talked about. And so when they came up with a project that looked okay, it wasn't okay enough to get the excitement to get the capital in place. And so Hummingbird then diverted uh, through a good friend of mine called Ian Cockrell who the ex-CEO of Goldfields. I used to be vice president of Goldfields. Um, so he got them this, introduced them to a project in Mali, smaller and therefore more financeable in the short term. And off they went and concentrated on that. And that was fine. They've, they've done well, a few challenges, as I'm sure the market's aware of. But as they were developing that mine, lo and behold, in 2019, as I mentioned, the government of Liberia came along and said, hey, guys, here's the MDA you've been asking for for all these years. Let's see you now start work. And it was at a time when just cash wasn't really available for Hummingbird. And we took the opportunity of seeing a great project that just needed to get some extra impetus into it. Because to get back to, I think, the one of the parts of your question there, why would we get involved in it is where you just normally don't get a starting block of 3.6 million ounces of compliant resources. It's one heck of a start for any company, in particular in that part of West Africa. It, it, it definitely is. And in last year's bull gold environment, it would seem everyone was, getting, was able to get finance relatively easy, uh, even companies mm. that shouldn't have been. So mm. is this a case of they felt too stretched or they felt that you're more likely to be able to get them the, the capital or you do a better job for the joint venture? Look, I, I, I would imagine it's a part you'd have to ask them for their honest answer, obviously, but I, I would imagine it's a bit of all three as you've described there. But their focus really was in Mali. They had had um, a couple of pit challenges with wall stability, et cetera. They weren't really up to full production level. Cash that was coming from the company was going elsewhere to pay debt, that, you know, the covenant that they had to pay. So it was a convenience. And, and you're right. You know, hopefully we bring a level of experience into project development and getting it along the road to a proper valuation here. Right. So I'm always interested in people's business plans and strategies. It's a relatively new story. Obviously, I think uh, last year, I think you what, you closed that the agreement with them in sort of October-ish. You've raised some money yeah. uh, in the crikey. When, when was that? September. Um, you know, so you're, I guess you're getting, getting your ducks lined up and ready to go. Um, but what's, what's the actual plan of how you're going to move this thing forward? Yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the question. First of all, you start with a great resource. In any project, without having a resource, why are you wasting your time and effort? That's what gives us the, the fast track opportunity here. 3.6 million of which two thirds of that is in the indicated category, running at a grade of 1.51 grams per tonne. So for an open pit opportunity in West Africa, um, you may have noticed just yesterday or the day before, Osino got the Bombori project uh, not only financed, but permitted. And they've got a grade of 0 0.7, 0 0.8 grams a tonne. So 1.5 is a pretty healthy grade for an open pit uh, in West Africa and on a coastline. So for us, the business plan, the projection going forward, as I mentioned up front, is twofold. One, let's take the existing resource with a little bit extra infill to bring some of the inferred into indicated and complete a definitive feasibility study based on a production rate of roughly 200 to 220,000 ounces of gold per year. Because with that kind of uh, background of 3.6 million ounces, that's fair. You know, it's a 10 to 12 year life of mine after recovery, which is reasonable. And you won't get all the resources coming into the mine plan anyway. Uh, 
And so get that moving. And we know that in this gold environment, where, you know, I guess most studies are being done in the 15 to $1,600 gold price, but we're all kind of looking in the future and saying, well, where is it going? You know, with all this inflation nonsense going on worldwide and the COVID dramas we're facing, where is the gold price going? But 1600 is reasonably conservative. So based on that, and in doubling the throughput compared to the previous project. And then you remember I mentioned about the oil and gas. Of course, in the 2014 study, the cost of oil was significantly higher than it is today. So the inputs are better. The grades are better. We actually increased the resource number from a roughly about 1.37 to 1.51 by dropping out the rats and mice, you know, the 0.2s and 0.3 gold still there. And at some stage, if the gold price is right, you will take them. Um, but a much more robust um, model based on that higher grade, it lends us to believe that the MPV coming out of this will be an attractive number and will uh, give a significant boost to the overall valuation of Pasofino and then by knock-on effect, obviously, to Hummingbird. So that's one aspect. And that also lets people focus in that we're not wasting money just drilling the living daylights out of this, that cash flow isn't a million miles away, that if we build it in 2022, then really you can see a return coming out 2023. It's not unreasonable. Um, but the other side of it is, you know, we're here in this last underdeveloped Beremian part of the geological endowment that is West Africa. You look at Ghana, that's got plus or minus 500 million ounces of endowment there. You look at Burkina Faso and Mali and Cote d'Ivoire, uh, and, and you compare Liberia, which has only got 16 million ounces. There is a huge, and we've got 2,500 square kilometers of ground. I mean, we'll never get around it all, quite frankly, but and we'll concentrate on the ones we know have got the main targets right now. But there's a huge opportunity of growing this resource. And so our second focus is, guys, over and above the DFS, which will be attractive on its own right, we think we can add value to uh, the overall company and therefore to investors coming into the company by adding a further 2 million ounces to the resource. So that's the thrust. And we brought in 10 point, just over $10 million at the bot deal that came out in October. The money came into our coffers probably about the middle of October. We've been using that money to develop the infrastructure that existed, just improving it because Hummingbird kind of put it in care and maintenance from 2016, 2017. So camp had deteriorated, road had deteriorated, bridges had need a bit of attention. And so that was the initial work. And we now, as a consequence of you know, getting pretty well down the, the road of rehabilitation, we now have three rigs at site. Two of them are working in the Dugby area. That's the area of known resources. And the third one is just looking at some of the expiration targets that will be generated. And so for this little company, you're going to see a plethora of press releases coming out related to the drills, which is what you'd expect and the excitement we'll get from step out drilling within the known resource area. So we know the envelopes there. It's just now identifying how much of it we can bring in and from some of the exploration potential we're looking at, and then add the DFS, which is the good old bread and butter of going forward in terms of information. So I think it's quite a clear strategy for us. Okay, so the, the, the step out is, I, I guess, you know enough uh, about what you're, you're looking at. You're, you assume it's a fairly homogenous greenstone belt type uh, formation there. What Can you tell me about the the use of the money. So you've raised 10 million. You've also raised about 3.6 3. earlier in the year in different tranches, right? So I guess that was just the, you know, get, getting things in order, getting things in order. But what, what was the actual deal with Hummingbird? How has that been structured, this earn-in of yours? Right. So it's we had to um, 
demonstrate that we had raised $10 million in the marketplace, okay. um, which we did. To, and that money was sufficiently uh, identified to allow us to undertake best endeavors to add the 2 million ounces that I've been talking about um, with drilling. You know, And I'm fairly confident that will happen in the next 12 months. Certainly, the, the work will be done to, to find it. Uh, and then to complete it, we would complete the feasibility study by the end of this year and submit that then to the Hummingbird Board, which completes the terms for the earning agreement. So at that stage, we are fully the owners of the 49% of the project that is Dugby. Right. And and is that the amount you end up with or are there any other terms, yeah. conditions attached? No, we, we as Pasofino end up with that 49%. Um, but then there's a, an agreement between Hummingbird and Pasofino that at that stage, providing the project is economic, and we obviously believe it will be, then Hummingbird have the ability to put their remaining 51% into Pasofino for a market-related equity at that time, and Pasofino becomes the 100% owner of the project. Got it. Which obviously then makes it from a corporate point of view a lot simpler. Yeah, a lot cleaner for sure. Okay, so then this year, DFS will be ready. You'll you'll present that to Hummingbird Board. Should meet all the conditions necessary. Then what? How do you raise money? Uh, Well, well, then look. Then you're at the. Remember, we will have the DFS completed. And I think on what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing from the work being done, we appointed DRA as our engineering consultants. Um, They're obviously South African based, international, of course, but they were the last company to do a gold mine in Liberia in 2015. So it was a natural kind of fit for us. On the basis of then completing the DFS and what I'm seeing, we will have a very, in a 1600 gold price, a very attractive investment decision to be made. And that would be put to the board at the end of 2021, I believe. And we then go out for either equity Uh, on the basis that we get the share price up, of course, to something much more attractive than we are today. And I think that's a feasible uh, expectation to have. And if there's some debt stroke um, uh, royalty scheme, then we could look at that as a means of bringing in the extra capital that we need. Okay. And tell me about the the 10 million financing. One, did you have any difficulty raising it? And and two, what were the terms again? It was a bought deal at 30 cents um, and a half warrant at 40. Um, I put a syndicate together. It was run by GMP, but of course, it was a kind of bit of a waste of putting the syndicate together to some extent because it was a bought deal, as I say. So no, we we were okay in raising that money. It went came well. Touch wood, as we say that. <laughs> Touch wood. Touch wood. Well, I mean, we have, I mean we've had a like we're comfortable with Liberia. Obviously, your track record speaks for itself. The plan seems simple enough. You've got the cash. It's a short time frame. What, what should we be worried about there, Ian? Look, it's Africa. That has its own challenges. I like it. I lived two kids born in Zambia, um, brought up there and in Ghana. So, uh, you know, I, if I wasn't comfortable, I wouldn't be there. So I, I have a level of comfort, but I have to impart that to would-be shareholders and existing shareholders. But that obviously is is something you watch. Um, and, but I think the opportunities are greater than the threats, to be quite frank. I think the chance of growing this uh, operation significantly are more likely to happen than the reverse being the case. And I think the other thing to keep in mind, uh, just as I 
set out the um, the strategy of the company is remember there are a lot of single mine asset companies in West Africa, some of them in locations like Burkina Faso, Mali, which unfortunately, because um, I worked in both of those areas, have become a little bit more challenging in the last two or three years. Anyone who's got the thinking that they want to be a West African or African-based gold producer, obviously this becomes quite a juicy target. We've got a big enough resource, likely to go between five and six million ounces, <coughs> excuse me, and a, a definitive feasibility study coming up saying, guys, we're going to produce 200,000 ounces a year. It's a pretty impressive merger acquisition target as well as being a development project in its own right. So it'll be a very interesting uh, next six to 12 months. Should be, should be. Well, look, Ian, I appreciate you coming on telling us the story. Uh, new one, like I said, I heard it before. Um and we will keep an eye on you, see how you're getting on. But obviously pick up the phone when there's something to say, because we'd be delighted to take that phone call. No, I, that's been absolutely wonderful having to speak to you. And sorry about the frozen face. Um, <laughs> we just have to live with that in these circumstances. But let me just finish by saying, if you don't mind, it, it really we, we've had a little bit pulled back in share price. The gold market's got a little bit soft since funnily enough, since we did the bot deal roughly about the middle of October, but I'm pretty sure it's coming again. And it's still a great number for us at 1850, never mind anything above that. So it's not a bad time to be looking at an investment criteria here. Yeah, it's uh, look, you know, I, I think the market, as I said, market has gone soft, but likewise, you haven't done anything yet. You've got to get, yep. uh, start spending that money and show us what you can do. Okay. Yep. That's what we've got to do. Good morning. Speak to you soon. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.